Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj Kalia. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday, October 19. Getting chilly out there, so hope you're all staying warm, getting up there, uh, having a good day. And uh, definitely, as always, thank you for listening, tuning in. Uh, you can always find more of my content and previous episodes on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. And also, as I mentioned uh, before, you can visit audio.io, search up Real Sports Talk by Naraj, and you'll find a lot of audio segments from my um, you know, NBA season previews as well as other um, you know, other types of uh, content as well, you know. So definitely check that out whenever you can. Definitely appreciate that. So in today's episode, I'm going to get into a couple of things. Uh, I'm going to talk some college football. The NBA season actually tips off tonight, uh, sooner than I thought, actually. Um, you know, but then again, maybe it all hit the start around this time. So that's going to be great with some of the games tonight. Um, and then, you know, I was going to get into, you know, a couple of other things as well that have been happening around the, you know, landscape of sports. So, um, you know, week seven, college football, um, you know, once again, we got a little bit shipped in, uh, in rankings. Um, you know, you look at what's been kind of going on, you know, Alabama was out of the playoff picture a week ago after their loss on the road at Texas A&M, and then a week later, it seems like they're back in it, or close to it, so, you know, things are going to get more and more interesting down the stretch of the college football season, um, just kind of want to dive into some of the games, um, and the results that we saw um, from Saturday, and what it means long term uh, for some of these teams vying for the college football playoff uh, top four spots. So Cincinnati um, was once again dominant and, and efficient in their victory uh, this past weekend over UCF, and you know, the final score was 56 to 21. You know, they obviously have been getting it done with quarterback Desmond Riddler playing extremely well. Uh, but in this game, you know, it was more about the running back. Uh, I think Jerome Ford is the name. Um, you know, he had a monster game. Uh, I think 189 yards rushing, four touchdowns in this game. So he really played extremely well from the get-go and kept the... Cincinnati Bearcats in control of this game from the start, and Cincinnati's winning in impressive fashion. Um, they're just getting it done, um, no matter what. Just in terms of winning the games they're supposed to win. Not obviously their, you know, quality of opponents isn't going to be on the level of an SEC team, but they are winning. They are getting those things done, and like I said, they have that win against Notre Dame on their schedule on the road. So that's been pretty impressive. You had number 11, uh, sorry, not, not number 11, number 1, Georgia, uh, hold off number 11, Kentucky, 30-13. Uh, to uh, Quarterback JT Daniels was out for Georgia, so they had, you know, one of their rookie quarterbacks play, and, you know, he got it done. He got it done in this game, did just enough to make some timely plays, 
in this game. The Georgia defense was really good um, in this game as well. You know, they just uh, got the plays they need to make, and you know, Kentucky obviously had having a good season. They just didn't have enough offense in this game. Couldn't score good enough in this game to make it interesting. Uh, but Georgia stays at number one. I mean, they just got it done at home. Obviously, just playing their style, running the football. Uh, and they're looking good right now at the number one spot uh, in the rankings. So moving on to the next game, uh, Alabama. I mean, knocked off um, Mississippi State. A dominant win on the road uh, after last week. You know, so Alabama came out, played a little bit angry, played much better. You saw Bryce Young put up four touchdowns. Um, Alabama's still going to be in the picture, most likely, down the stretch of this season. Uh, we know that after a loss, Nick Saban usually like, gets these guys playing at a high level. So, you know, they still have a chance to make the college football playoffs, but I think another loss would definitely do them in. So, that'll be something to really watch out for um, as, you know, they play some more meaningful games in the SEC coming up. Number four, Oklahoma defeated TCU 52-31. Caleb Williams got the start for Oklahoma. Um, obviously, we know that uh, the week prior, uh, Caleb Williams, a freshman, came in um, in place of Spencer Rattler, who obviously was you know, a promising quarterback to start this year. Obviously, a potential NFL prospect in next year's draft. Now those things a little bit are in question as Caleb Williams has been able to do some impressive things the last two weeks here, getting it done. Um, and you know Oklahoma remains right there in the picture of the you know college football uh, rankings. They're just playing extremely well. Uh, you know they just look better as an offense as a unit with Caleb Williams. Um, so Lincoln Riley definitely is getting it done with him and. You know, it's going to be interesting to watch how that continues to be, you know, a thing going forward. Whether or not Spencer Rattler will ever see the field again this season, considering how they've been playing the last couple of weeks. Now, the biggest shocker of week seven, um, I would say, is Iowa. Iowa going down um, to Purdue 24 to 7. Rough game for Iowa's quarterback. Spencer uh, Petrus. They didn't do really anything well offensively. That defense was on the field a lot, and that defense got beat. They had their first really rough game of the season in which they could not, you know, win with any turnovers. They couldn't keep it close as well. Um, Purdue really executed very well against Iowa, knocking off the number two team in the country. Uh, it was very shocking because you know the Iowa the previous week had played so well, but this game they came out flat. Uh, there were obviously a couple of drops, missed plays, but it was just a really bad game for Iowa. Um, Iowa's quarterback. Um, that defense, as good as it's been, when you have that defense on the field a lot more, um, you know, obviously it can lead to some things, you know, wear and tear. And so, uh, definitely a shocker for Iowa. They had a lot of momentum, obviously so far this season and they just kind of slipped up um, you know just not playing their best um, football at the right time so you know as for some of the other teams across college football I mean Michigan 
State. Um, you know, was able to squeak by Indiana. Uh, Ohio State is obviously a team that can't be slept on either. They are. I think that they didn't play this past week because of the bye week, but or something along those lines. I'm not sure. But uh, Ohio State is a team that's coming. Um, you know, so things are getting really interesting. In the top ten of the you know college football. 2021 rankings in terms of who's going to be in the top four, top five. It seems like a lot can change, obviously, and that's the kind of beauty and crisis of college football that a lot of things can change from week to week, um, and no team is really out of it. No team is really out of it until like the last couple of weeks, and so I think we're going to see a lot of more movement probably across the board. You know. You know, hopefully there'll be more, obviously, those top 10 matchups. Maybe we get to see those matchups as well. But to me, I think that, you know, a team like Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, these three teams may, you know, cancel each other out of the uh, of the rankings, you know, in terms of, like, the top five, top six. So it will be fascinating to watch how these teams perform because you know that Penn State is also still going to be in the mix as well, even with their one loss to Iowa uh, Penn State will still be in the consideration as well, so it's going to be really interesting uh, for the college football playoff community to decide these rankings as they in final weeks of the season. You know, uh, obviously there's a lot to go on still between now and then, but it is getting interesting. So the updated rankings of the college football playoffs: you have Georgia number one, Cincinnati number two now, number three is Oklahoma, and Alabama finds itself back at number four. So Alabama was out for one week, and they're right back into it because of Iowa's stunning loss, um, you know, to Purdue. You have Ohio State number five, you have Michigan number six, and you got Penn State number seven. So, you know, this is except Penn State, Michigan, two teams that may have a chance at their top five. But Alabama is like right back in this, you know, right back in the middle of things now with their win. So. It's going to be interesting because I think the only shot that a team to catch Alabama in that fourth spot is you really need Penn State uh, or Michigan to really win some big time games coming up and Alabama can't for another loss, right? So that will be the key is can Alabama make it to the SEC championship game and win it all in that game? You know, they have to win the rest of the way to make it in. Um, so should be interesting to watch and, you know, Definitely looking ahead to a great week eight of comfortable action. So in this next segment, I want to talk about um, the LSU Tigers and the announcement of Ed Orgeron um, will be, you know, let go. Um, uh, they'll be parting ways at the end of the season and you know it's been an interesting time for the LSU Tigers as you know not long ago two years ago you know with Joe Burrow um, and obviously promising talent uh, they won the national championship right they finished with a um, undefeated record I believe that year capping it off with the win over Clemson and the you know, national championship game, and so now a couple of years later, now I mean the team has really struggled to be as good as they should have been, um, and there's been a lot to go into that. 
right? But um, look at LSU this season. I mean, they're four and three. They just come off an upset win over I think number twenty Florida. Um, but this move by LSU really comes down to a couple of things. I think one, look at the game of college football. There's a lot of uh, young and promising coaches that are getting opportunities. And the game is just changing a lot in the college football ranks. You know, there are some, um, you know, you're seeing a lot more unproven. Or I was unproven, but you're seeing candidates that haven't been given a whole lot of time, chances to coach and be in the be in the game. And so, obviously, Nick Saban, Lane Kiffin, Kirby Smart, um, you know, James Franklin, coaches that have been there a long time, I understood the game of football, you know, Chip, uh, Chip, you know, Chip Kelly, um... You know, you have those coaches, Brian Kelly. So, you know, this move for LSU is a little bit surprising considering how they've produced so much, obviously, talent for the NFL the last few years. And, you know, Ed Orgeron, obviously, a coach that, um, you know, when he took over as coach, he really helped LSU, um, really, in terms of recruiting, getting them back on the map a little bit more. And they were winning games, they were kind of within the, uh, you know, conversation a lot more in terms of the national championship conversation. They're still obviously a great school, um, but you know, you look at him. He's been there for about six seasons as coach. You know, compiling I think a 49 and 17 record um, overall. And like I said, they were kind of like in the middle of the pack the last couple of years. I mean, they have, I think they've been nine and eight the last few years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, then they went five and five last year, and then this year they've been kind of this way so you know it was kind of surprising to see them come out with this announcement but they've had their injuries as well obviously they haven't been able to recruit as well um, since obviously Burrow left for the NFL and then you had offense coordinator Joe Brady go as well and there are obviously a couple of um, coaches and staff that definitely had to you know saw their opportunities and went elsewhere and so you know all that amount of change really put Ed Orgeron into a position where he had to do a lot more as a coach. And there were there obviously there were some things that just weren't going as well for LSU, which is why they decided to move on. You know, and this will be his obviously his last year, so they hope he finish on a strong note. But you look at it, um, there were some things you know him about not handling, you know, social justice issues very well. Obviously, his players got uh, so some players got you know allegedly like you know. So allegations that his players were kind of mishandled. There were a couple of questionable, you know, call um, hiring calls this year. You know, so there are a lot of things that kind of led into that. You know, where just the whole kind of culture and vibe really changed. Where you know, Edward Rodgers is a good football coach and a good leader, but you know, players obviously after a certain while, you know, want to be doing even more. Or you know, it's all about it's all about the you know the locker room, the vibe of the locker room. Um, and it just felt like Ed Orgeron with all the kind of changes and stuff that he really had to just kind of dig deep and do some things and they didn't really produce as well you know obviously winning cures a lot of these problems but I think for LSU there were obviously a lot of things going on during his time there so uh, there's a couple of stories about you know just some of the things that kind of happened since you know Burrow and you know some of the town left in LSU how you know Kind of things kind of you know had to go beyond X's and O's, and kind of culture and vibe was more of you know kind of getting more out of the roster, right? So, 
obviously there are players that will continue to be great at what they do and obviously you know with more and more of these young athletes you know a lot of things can keep on changing so to me this is just more of LSU deciding to have a new voice after obviously six seasons and that sometimes does happen you know that does happen with coaches um you know sometimes things aren't all about the record and performance it's about the other things about being a head coach can you be accountable can you say the right things at the right time and it felt like at the Orgeron, uh, there's some things that were reported and talked about that really just kind of put a perception around him that, you know, maybe he's not the right person to lead this team, into, into, you know, going forward. Now, that's what might be the optics, what, you know, what I would say, but, you know, I think his record speaks for itself and, you know, maybe obviously if he does decide to coach again, maybe he'll get a fresh start. Um... And maybe be able to handle things much better because being a coach in, in in any sport, there's a lot of variables, a lot of things you have to really factor into, and sometimes it comes down to performance and wins. Other time it comes down to like the vibe and the locker room and the culture. And I felt like LSU's culture had kind of shifted a little bit from obviously a lot of excellence and greatness to kind of things that were kind of unclear, uncertain, and that kind of left a lot of players not playing at their best. A couple of players may have transferred, you know, so. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into being that. So hopefully Ed Orgeron finishes on a high note for LSU this year. Um, and maybe he you know, may or may not uh, coach, you know, he may coach at some level maybe in the future after LSU. Um, but, you know, he's definitely had a good run with LSU. And like I said, there's just a you know, change in time now where, like, a lot of players, a lot of schools are just trying to find, obviously, innovative minds, things that can kind of shake up their roster a little bit, their culture. Um... And LSU may need that, uh, considering how much you know the talent they've seen kind of come and go in the uh, you know on their roster. Uh, they're still a popular school that will be highly, you know, on some of these prospects who are coming in coming out of high school into the college. So should be interesting to watch what LSU does in their coaching search going forward, and who will be a name to really emerge for that that coaching spot um, after this year's end. So in this next segment, I want to talk about the wild and interesting end to week six of Monday Night Football between the Buffalo Bills and Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans won 34-31. Uh, what a game. You know, Tennessee got off to a slow start. You know, Tannehill had an early interception. But, you know, they kind of battled back. And both teams actually played really well in that second quarter, putting up points. You know, Henry had an impressive touchdown run. You saw Josh Allen find, you know, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs for touchdowns in this game. And speaking about Derrick Henry, he finished with 145 yards rushing, I believe, three touchdowns. was a big one late in the fourth quarter. Um, it went back and forth. You know, it had that feel of, you know, a couple of plays being made. I mean, you saw uh, Bayard, the safety of the Tennessee Titans, make an interception. Uh, you saw both teams move the ball fairly well against one another uh, in the second half. And Tennessee, just knowing how they've been kind of banged up with injuries and cornerbacks, you know, they played a really good game. And you look at it, obviously the Buffalo Bills were confident coming in. They had played really well early on. Uh, I felt like they were going to, you know, stay in control of this game. But, you know, you saw Tennessee kind of get behind, get a couple, you know, get a field goal and then, 
Um, Josh Allen found himself in a situation with, with the Bills down, you know, 34-31. They go on a game-winning drive potentially, and everything was going fairly well for the Buffalo Bills. You know, Tennessee obviously didn't call a couple of timeouts because they were obviously confident that they could, get, you know, get a stop and maybe force the game in overtime. Um, but the Bills, you look at where they, where they were on the field. I mean, they really had completed some impressive plays, and you know, they had a chance. You know. They decided to go for it on fourth and one at the goal line um, against the Tennessee Titans defense. Now, you know, they could have kicked the field goal, played it safe, went to overtime. Maybe things could have been different. But one thing about Sean McDermott, this Buffalo Bills team, is that they obviously are very confident. Obviously, Josh Allen has been paid so much. Um, obviously, that huge contract extension. So... Obviously, this Bills team has expectations, just like every, every team in the AFC, you know, to be big time, get to the Super Bowl, make a run at it. And so, you've got to be aggressive in certain situations. And knowing how Buffalo Bills have been, have been playing since week one, you knew that they were going to try to be aggressive, try to put up points, try to apply pressure on this defense. And they tried it against Tennessee. Now, the play call itself could have been better, maybe. Um, the execution... Definitely could have been better. Was it the was it the right call to make? Most people think that all right, you kick the field goal, tie the game up. But the Buffalo Bills at that point were doing fairly well on that drive, and you didn't expect Tennessee to stop them, uh, especially on a potential just you know getting a yard or two to get in the end zone. You know, initially started out in the shotgun, came to the he came down to center and tried to obviously run, but his legs and everything didn't really. He, he didn't really push forward as much as he could have. But give credit to Tennessee inside because, you know, Allen could have just powered his way through. Uh, he could have jumped over the top. He rather just tried to take the snap and, like, you know, get into the end zone. But he didn't get enough momentum, um, I think. Obviously, his legs kind of got under him a little bit. So he kind of stumbled a little bit, which allowed Tennessee to make that play on the goal line. Um but, I mean, what a interesting game it was. Obviously, you look at the play calling and McDermott, obviously, you know, trying to go for it there. On, you know, that's just a lot, obviously, that they believe in Allen's offense. Um, you know, but for Tennessee, this is a huge win. Obviously, we know that Tennessee has been off to a slow start. They've been a little bit inconsistent. But you're seeing now A.J. Brown start to do things. Julio Jones had an incredible catch um, in this game. And... You saw them move the ball a little bit better. Tannehill played much better, I would say, in the second half. Uh, but Henry was really the big key for them, especially on that drive where they got the touchdown lead. Um, so, you know, a game that could have gone in Buffalo Bills' direction. They could have, you know, gone for the field goal, you know, play play extra period. But just knowing how some of these games go and how they kind of dictate, you know, you kind of want to win it whenever you have a chance. And Buffalo Bills went for it. Came up short. It was a great game overall. I mean, you thought that would be a little bit more, uh, maybe low scoring, depending on how things were going. But Tennessee came to play, got a huge win, um, and the Buffalo Bills still, despite this loss, still have a good enough team where you still think that they can, you know, they can come away with this. Looking at like they had a chance, they missed it, um, but they're still a very formidable team in the AFC, and they're going to be obviously a team to watch as the season goes on especially when they go up against some other teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's one of the games that I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the Bills and Buccaneers at some point this season. 
whether it be next week or the week after, you know, that game itself will be something interesting to watch for. Uh, as Josh Allen obviously has been so great since week one, has been playing very well. That moment came up a little bit short, but, you know, I think that's kind of like the game was kind of dictated at that pace. Tennessee's defense uh, was able to get that that one stop that was needed in the end. So should be a great week seven coming up. Um, a lot of matchups to get into in preview, so stay tuned for that um, on Thursday, Friday, um, as I've been doing for a while. So in this next segment, I want to talk about uh, Hugh Jackson and how he's really doing well at Tennessee State. For most people who do not know, Hugh Jackson, um, you know, has been in the NFL for quite some time. You know, did serve as a head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals at some point, I believe. Uh, sorry, not Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, I mean the Cleveland Browns. And Hugh Jackson is now the offensive coordinator at Tennessee State under first-year head coach Eddie George. Eddie George is a former Heisman winner, played nine years in the NFL. And Hugh Jackson, uh, it's good to see him find a you know coaching opportunity this year. As you know, he was out of the NFL coaching circles the past three seasons. I was given the opportunity by you know first-year head coach Eddie George. And look at T- Tennessee State. Obviously, they're one of those schools just in you know along with some of the other HBUC schools and lower division one schools that obviously you're seeing more and more minority head coaching candidates come go there uh, to get experience to get the opportunity to improve their resume in order to kind of go, go through the ranks of being coaches as so a Hugh Jackson um, has been really great in terms of play calling at times although you know he just hasn't had a whole lot of success at the NFL level um, he's still been a really good, you know, leader of the game, teacher of the game as well, motivating guys. And so it's really good for him to see him coaching younger college players coming out and playing with him. You know, he obviously, um, you know, was around, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield and, you know, with the Raiders for a short while. So Hugh Jackson is someone who has had some success, just not the way in which some of the big-time coaches in the NFL have been having with Tennessee State, they're playing well as an offense. You're seeing guys really commit. Hugh Jackson just talked about continuing to coach because you know he loves the game so much, and that's really what it comes down to. You know, some of the younger coaches and assistant coaches that get let go after a football season really have a tough time finding a second home. Sometimes, sometimes they go to the next team and they find the opportunity. But others, being in the league as a coordinator, you know, offensive coordinator, and then you kind of get swapped out for somebody else and then you either end up somewhere or you're out of the NFL and so Hugh Jackson is really doing well under Eddie George um, obviously helping him in terms of his understanding of certain things as a first year coach um, so I think Hugh Jackson you know at some point I think he doesn't want to coach again in the NFL but I think he's just enjoying his time and preparation right now with players and coaches um, just kind of enjoying that whole process and I think that Going forward, I think you'll see more and more coaches who come from the NFL level to, you know, from the, from the college ranks to the NFL, you know, to the NFL ranks. You'll continue to see that, but 
you know, the importance of having more minority head coaches, something that Hugh Jackson has been talking about. There's been a lot of people talking about that in the NFL. And, you know, with time and with more, obviously, we've seen a lot of change in the NFL where more women are being given opportunities to be, you know, assistant coaches, strength coaches. So I think that's coming also at some level at the, at the coordinator level, you know, that hopefully will happen. We'll see more minority head coaches maybe get a chance to be offensive coordinator in the NFL or be an assistant. And, you know, just all about continuing to create that diverse kind of skills, you know, mindset and being able to give more people opportunities in the NFL to coach teams or to be part of practice squads. Um, but, you know, Hugh Jackson someone who is obviously been in the game, kind of going to the college rank now. Um, so for everyone, is a little bit different. Um, some coaches have been able to really transition well. Some haven't been able to transition well. But seems with Tennessee State, Hugh Jackson is doing really good. And hopefully you see more and more of these HBC schools and these talents kind of come to light. More and more teams can kind of interview these candidates that are at these levels, HBC level, you know, talent. And consider these um, candidates for possible coaching opportunities. It can happen. You know, a lot of history has been already made in the NFL the last season or so with, you know, a female official calling the Super Bowl and with the Buccaneers and what they have on their staff. So there's a lot of great empowerment going on in the NFL. And you just want to see that more come to light with the minority head coaches who may not always do well in the interviews but deserve a shot based on what they've been able to do, their body of work, and what they can kind of bring to a um, a team. And huge to Tennessee State so far with Eddie George as their head coach and I think it will continue to be the case this season as they try to develop and build a culture there under Eddie George. So I want to finish up today's episode by talking about the NBA and the 75th NBA season kicking off tonight with a doubleheader um, between the Brooklyn, you know, at the Brooklyn Nets at the Milwaukee Bucks and the Golden State Warriors at the Los Angeles Lakers. Should be a big night for the NBA and this week as they celebrate some of the most iconic moments in NBA history and obviously a lot of accomplishments, a lot of things. Um, so great to see the NBA have that on display tonight. Um, yeah, as they get going with their season. So, just want to get my thoughts on the matchups for tonight and what to expect. So, let's start with the Brooklyn Nets at the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are expected to get their championship rings and their banner raised tonight. Um, so that will be obviously a special moment for that for that team in that city as they host the Nets in a game in which we're gonna see. Um, a whole lot of James Harden and Kevin Durant, as expected. Um, Kyrie Irving will not be playing tonight. Um, so, you know, you're probably going to see Patty Mills be there in the lineup a little bit. Maybe maybe you'll see more of Bruce Brown. Um, but this should be a really interesting game between two teams that are early odds-on favorites to capture the NBA championship this season and right behind them or right behind them both of them I would say is the Los Angeles Lakers um, so you know look at this game and obviously Kevin Durant um, coming off you know such a great play performance last year 
obviously in that game seven against Giannis in the Bucks, you know, wasn't able to have hit that shot uh, because he played so many minutes in that game. He was really not, uh, you know, he wasn't at his best, I would say, for that shot particularly. Um, but you look at both teams, they obviously very familiar with each other. Uh, obviously, you've seen Blake Griffin kind of talk about how the Nets should have been the ones to win the championship last year or, you know, along those lines, I think Blake Griffin had made some comments regarding that. So, look at this game and it really was going to come down to, um, you know, how well uh, does the Nets supporting cast play around James Harden and Kevin Durant. I mean, we know that Kevin Durant is going to put on the show no matter what because uh, he's so gifted and talented. For James Harden, obviously fully healthy, running the point guard spot, um, you know, how well is he able to get it going early on? And will he be, you know, taking it on a lot more in terms of scoring or trying to get his teammates set up? You know, that's going to be the thing to watch out for because the Nets are going to need good ball movement in this game to beat Milwaukee. I think that last year you saw that the Bucks just really matched them with that intensity, that scoring. And so I still think that size is going to be a problem for the Brooklyn Nets this season, even with the addition of a Paul Millsap in there. You know, I think that you're going to see the Bucks try to do what they have been able to do well, and that is really attack the paint. Obviously, they have the perimeter shooting with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. So you're going to see uh, those two obviously do their thing uh, when presented. Now, obviously, a couple of names to watch in this game. You have Lamarcus Aldridge, who obviously we know that he was with the Nets and he had to retire due to that, you know, health scare. So, you know, Aldridge is a name to watch tonight as he may get some early, you know, playing minutes. And then for uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, Pat Condon, you know, he missed the final 20 games of the postseason. You know, he's going to be a big name to watch this year. And also Dante DiVincenzo. Um, I think he's the one, sorry, he's the one I believe who missed the games last, you know, towards the end of the postseason run. So the Bucks are going to have some shooters back with them on their bench. And I think that in terms of chemistry and the way that Mike Bullenholzer usually is at home, I mean, the Bucks are going to be, uh, they're going to have a really good shot to win this game, I think. You know, they're going to have a really good shot to win this game because of their chemistry. Um, and, you know, Giannis obviously has been look, uh, having a nice goal right now with his, his his jumper, hitting some impressive mid-range shots. You know, will it carry over to the game? Remains to be seen, but I expect a really competitive game between these two teams. And I think that Milwaukee um, has a good shot to win this one. I think if Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday play the way they played in that Game 7 last year at Brooklyn, I think they'll, they'll win this game tonight. And I think the Bucks will. I think they're going to be motivated uh, to come out there, play strong. Obviously, the Nets had Kyrie Irving. It'll be a little bit more exciting, a little more interesting. I don't think that the Nets are going to get, you know... Be uh, you know, they're gonna give a big lead, or they're gonna get loose by like a bunch of points. I think they will keep it close, but I just think that the Bucks get it done. I think that their defense is gonna do a much better job of stopping the second unit of the Brooklyn Nets. I think that is gonna be a huge thing in this game. I think that um, I expect the second unit of the Bucks to play much better offensively than, than the Nets will, and maybe you'll see KD and Harden play a lot of minutes. 
in the in the first go game, you know, this first game of the season, um, you know, I have questions about Joe Harris and about Bruce Brown and some of the talent they have. You know, I think that the Bucks will take advantage of that tonight. I think they'll find a way to out-rebound the Brooklyn Nets and they'll get the win. As for the night, Golden State Warriors taking on the new look Los Angeles Lakers. And we know the Lakers obviously made a huge trade for Russell Westbrook. They've signed Carmelo Anthony, Kendrick Nunn. Um, you know, you have Dwight Howard back in the mix, right? Um, there's a lot of obviously experienced veteran, you know, veterans of the Lakers team here. Obviously, can't wait to see what Carmelo does tonight as well. So they've got a lot of shooting. They got a very experienced roster with a lot of vet, you know, a lot of vet, vet players. Um, and we know that I think the key for like Lakers obviously getting out in this first game is, you know, seeing how well they do LeBron, AD, and LeBron, uh, LeBron, Westbrook, and AD. How do they, you know, mesh together as a unit? That'll be key. But more importantly for the Lakers this season, two names to watch is Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook because we know that, you know, Anthony Davis obviously struck with injuries last season, wasn't his his best self. Russell Westbrook obviously has had a really good go around with a couple of teams, but he's kind of bounced around. Um, so, you know, you want to see the Lakers be a high um, high offense with also a committed playing defense. And Frank Vogel is going to have a lot of players to juggle with, I think, in this game. You know, however, he decides to you know use his lineups will be very interesting. But you know, they do have Kendrick Nunn also. You know, you know Rondo being back in the mix. Um, so the Lakers are going to be a, a huge favorite in this game because of uh, what they can do offensively. LeBron, obviously, doing so many things on the court, he's going to continue to be a, you know, do what he does, you know, set up teammates, score. Um, you know, this game, I think, you're looking at a, a point of view where, um, I think on one hand, you have a Lakers team that, you know, have a couple of new you know pieces in play right uh, the, their the latest roster additions and you have the Golden State Warriors who you know last year you saw some young guys really step up and play well alongside Steph Curry Steph Curry was obviously sensational last year uh, and we know what he can do when he gets it going uh, you saw Draymond Green take on more of a leadership role they had a number of you know young guys play extremely well um, you know and Anderson and then you had you know, James Wiseman to an extent. Uh, I think Moody was another name. So Golden State had a nice group of uh, young players that really stepped up last year. I mean, Andrew Wiggins played relatively well at times last year. Um, and this team was still competitive. They were competitive right until uh, at the end of the season. So Steve Kerr has done a tremendous job with this roster and being able to get the right players around, the, um, around Steph. But it's going to take a lot more than that. And the return of Clay Thompson is a huge one. If he, obviously, he won't play in tonight's game, but when he returns, uh, they will be a team that offensively is going to be loaded. They will be loaded offensively from the sense of we know that what Steph Curry and Clay can do together when they're on the court. So when I just mentioned that, I'm saying along those lines. But, you know, you have some draft, uh, they also got a couple of nice draft players. Uh, this past year's NBA draft, so I think you're going to see a lot of guys get a lot of playing minutes in this game. Um, 
you know, you just want to see them kind of, you know, play well, shoot the three-pointer well. Um, I think that's the key for them to actually have a chance in this game is to just really get off to a good start, uh, play some good defense. I mean, Draymond's going to do a lot of things defensively, yes, but you want to see Wiseman, Jordan, Jordan Poole, um, you know, Anderson. They'll, they, you, want, you want to see these guys really bring the energy, bring the efficiency down the stretch, and I think that will be key in this game is how well they, can they do that. The Lakers should win this game tonight. Uh, tonight, I think they're going to be really looking to obviously push the pace. And the more important thing is their perimeter shooting, right? So you've addressed, you know, a couple of spots with uh, you know, with Carmelo and Ellington, uh, Nunn, you know, Taylor and Tucker. So you just want to see the Lakers perimeter shooting in this game tonight, you know. Um, Obviously, Westbrook and AD are going to do their thing. I think Anthony Davis has to really dominate this year. Obviously, we know that he can do that. He's capable of doing that. Uh, it's just all about can he, you know, be on the court and be healthy. And um, with Westbrook and him playing together, it's going to be great to see how they run the get it going early on. So, a lot of things to look forward to. Very excited to see how the NBA season gets going. Uh, obviously more games to come in the following days so uh, definitely we'll try to recap some of those at least a couple a day uh, throughout the week it's my goal of capping you know recapping NBA games this season so definitely have fun check it out tonight and I'll be back uh, tomorrow with an episode of previewing week seven of the NFL's Thursday night football game I may preview that tomorrow or the day after uh, remains to be seen um, and obviously I'll tackle some other things as well um, that we've seen around uh, the sports world and um, and the league as well in terms of you know how the World Series is going, uh, in terms of what other games to look out for, which things to watch out for. I might even make some predictions maybe for some coaches uh, and player awards maybe. So uh, we'll get back to all of you with another episode tomorrow.